One of the most difficult subjects to consider as the Christian is spiritual warfare. But the reality is if we live for Christ truly, honestly, and sincerely, we're going to do battle. It's just a part of what we're facing. The Christian life is a battle with the supernatural. It's not a battle with persons or entities or ideas. It's not a battle with uh, news or, or commentators or politicians. It's a battle that's supernatural. Because the evil one, Satan, even though he knows he's been defeated, and even though his time is limited, he understands that he can do serious harm and damage to the Christian. If we will allow him to deceive us and mislead us, he can take us far from where we ever intended to be in following Christ. And that's why I believe that it's, it's perfectly natural and normal for us to go from a series on heaven and hell right into the idea of spiritual warfare. Because each and every one of us are facing that battle. This morning, I'm not going to talk to those who are described in Matthew 7, 23, when Jesus said, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There are a number of folks that are like that. They think they're a Christian, but they're not. Uh, they're pew-sitters. They, they're wannabes. They want to be a Christian, but they're not willing to walk the pathway to get to Christ. And it's very simple. It's coming to Jesus and saying, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that you died on the cross to save me, and I accept your gift of salvation. Then you begin that walk by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to guide you. And that guidance is so very important. It's so significant. So I'm not talking to the people that maybe are not saved here or the ones that would like to be that, that are not. I'm also not talking to people who are here because church is just a nice place to hang around because you look better when you're with church people. Uh, I'm not talking to the people that use the church for their own purposes. Uh, people that say, well, that's just one more list on my resume that will look nice and people will like. Don't want to talk to you all today. You can get comfortable and play with your iPhones. Who I'm talking to today are the Christians that are entrenched in walking with God, that you pray and study His Word daily, and you are struggling. Now, here's what's important for you to know today. Satan never gets after those people that, that don't know Him, uh, don't know Christ, and the ones that are just here to play around. He's got them, you know. It's those of you who are serious about your faith, that are attempting to shed away the sins in your life and, and daily uh, make sure that you can crucify the flesh, that's who will have the struggle with the evil one. That's who he's after. Spiritual warfare is a unique ground to be upon, and the faithful Christian has to understand it early on. It's not a place that is found by those who are just simply coming out to have a good time in church. In fact, one of the, one of the funniest sayings, and, and I think we all through seminary, Jeff, that, you know, uh, the notes in the business meeting ended, and a good time was had by all. I guarantee you the night in Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying, and literally there were sweat drops of blood on his forehead, and his disciples who had followed him for three years kept falling asleep. A good time was not had by all. There was a battle greater than any battle that had ever been fought in all of the universe that night in that place. It was a battle of, of righteousness against unrighteousness. And Jesus won. And thank goodness for that. Sometimes spiritual warfare goes on in our own hearts when we struggle. 
with temptation and with the tempter. Sometimes it goes on within our circle of friends as we struggle trying to find out what God would have us to do and do it righteously. And Sometimes the struggle is in a family. And that is such a difficult struggle. But nothing will ever surprise our Holy Spirit because our Holy Spirit, guided by the wisdom of our Creator, God the Father, will lead us in all righteousness and lead us away from that temptation and back to the Master. One of my favorite uh, preachers of all time was Vance Havner. I got to know him well years ago and long before I entered the ministry. He was one of those people I just looked up to and admired. He used to tell the story about when he was a little boy and he would go with his father to the mill in their community uh, and they'd, they'd take a load of grain there, sacks of grain that they had grown. They wanted them ground up. Sometimes it was corn to be ground up for cornmeal. Sometimes it was wheat to be ground up for flour. But he said one of the really unique things there, he said that old mill house, it looked like a good wind would blow it over. and It had been there 150 years. He said you would go up in there and there was that giant wheel that would turn and the water would come out and hit the edge of the wheel and turn that, that huge wheel. But inside, he said, was a serious business. Inside it was turning a millstone one against another. And they would slowly sift that grain in the middle of there and it would crush it and spread it out. But he said that millstone didn't always run. He said they had to start the water down the sluice to move the wheel, but they also had to engage the mechanism that moved from the water wheel into the millstone. And he said what was amazing was he said one time they went there and he said it was the dead of winter. And a freeze had blocked the creek. And guess what? They could not mill. Another time, he said, some beavers had built a dam way back up the, the creek. And there was no water coming. And they couldn't do that. He said, I learned early on that you have to be concerned about the source of your power. He said, now the miller could have grabbed the edge of that stone and he could move it some from time to time. He'd do that. But he couldn't mill grain with that for very long. He would be too weak. The reality is in our life, we have to be careful about straining and striving to do the Lord's work and our own strength when he wants to do it in his. That's exactly what happens in a church when we lose touch with the power of the Holy Spirit and allowing ourselves to be focused on what he's called us to do in spiritual warfare, which is not to get out there and fight the battle, if you notice in this passage of Scripture, it, it details what we wear, but it never tells us to fight. It says to stand. It reminds me of the story of Moses. Moses was to give strength to the people when they were coming across the Red Sea. And they knew that there was a problem. The people were weak and they were doubtful and they were scared and some were, were discouraged and others were frustrated because it wasn't going their way. And Moses stood and he held up his arms and the people had hope. We have to be a people that stand with God. He will fight the battle for us. We don't have to get down there and do plans for that. We don't have to, to go after and draw our sword and fight. He will fight the battle for us. But We have to be prepared to stand in the face of all that's happening. 
The secret to spiritual awakening is clearing out the debris in our lives and heading in the right direction. Truly, renewal in our lives will never happen until we do that. The Holy Spirit is there. You have everything you need equipping you to do that work. But your greatest enemy is the one that brings in distractions, things that would lead you astray. I was surprised some years ago sitting in a a Georgia State Patrol symposium that was given by the state of Georgia. And my cousin was a state trooper and he invited me to come to this. And I thought certainly when they were discussing why people died in accidents on the roadway that surely the number one cause would be alcoholism, people drinking and driving. It's not. I thought after that maybe it's it's people that, that get into road rage. It's not. You know what the number one killer of people on the highways in America is? Distracted driving. Something distracts them as they're going along and they lose their focus. You, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to nod your head. I'm not going to admit to you that I've done that before and you're not going to admit that to me. I don't want you to. But we've all done it. We've gotten distracted. We've either looked at our phone or we've looked at the dash in the car or we've looked at something that distracted us from our focus and in just literally a second we're not where we should be. Distracted driving kills more people than anything. It's true in the Christian life. We can get easily distracted and we can be lulled into a sense of confidence that everything's okay. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I said in your article in the Evangel that hopefully you got this Thursday, that when you saw a man in ancient times walking over the hill with a cross on his shoulder, you knew he wasn't coming back. And what Jesus is saying is once we come in faith in Him and trust Him and begin that walk, we don't look back. We don't allow the evil one to get control of us. We don't allow him to dictate to us what we should do. To deny oneself is to carry your cross. doesn't sound like health, wealth, and happiness that's preached in many churches today, and it's not. But it's the only course of true victory you can ever have. We live in a world that is influenced by evil in so many ways. And that evil rubs off on Christians, good people, well-meaning people. Turn on your, your television and sit down to watch for a little while, and it will affect and infect the way you think about families. I'm old enough that I grew up in a time when On television, fathers were revered and respected. Father knows best, leave it to Beaver. You know, all those shows were were positive role models. There was a father and there was a mother, and there was a a role that the father played, and and there's a role that the mother played, and they worked together. It's been a long time since that's been echoed there because remember, television is there, and the work that they do is not there to entertain you. Please, please, please don't ever be deceived by that. They're not there to entertain you. They're there to change you. They're a change agent. They want to change the way you think. 
television, Hollywood, and all, all, of, all of their ilk is not of God. It's of Satan. Right from Satan. I don't mean mildly like him, but I mean literally dictated by him. Here's the game plan that Satan has had all along. He absolutely despises the fact that God is on his throne and he's righteous. Remember, his desire was to be like the Most High God. Yet in doing that and desiring that, he was cast down and he was judged. But in the midst of that, he's trying to convince us that he is better than God. And all that he does is against God. The Antichrist is the one against God. They want to tear up everything that God tells us, tells us is true and right. The building block for humanity is the family. And certainly that is what's being aimed at. The most precious gift, humanly speaking, in the flesh that we're given is life. And when we're born into this world, we have a gift, we have a life to live, and it's so precious. But Satan has convinced our world that choice is more important than life. And the reality is, the choices we make may determine our own death eternally. Satan has convinced us that black is white and right is wrong. Satan, through his media, has taught our children that it's okay to point a gun at somebody and shoot. It's okay to stab somebody. It's okay to beat someone up. And do you realize that to this very day, they're still debating in the national media. Well, do you think maybe these harsh video games are making kids more violent? To quote my favorite off, uh, office worker here, Martha Miller, who's in heaven now looking down on us, Martha would look at me and when I would make a statement like that, she'd say, you think? Yeah, I think that it's true that they are manipulating our young people. I don't remember as a child having a 13-year-old friend go out and mow down 20 people. I don't remember them ever becoming violent and killing their family and walking away. we got a problem in America, and the problem is not something that's hidden, it's very open. I've told you before, and I mean it with all my heart, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do for your family is turn off your television. Amen? That was a weak amen, wasn't it? You're thinking, well, preacher, that's my favorite show. Monday night football, give it up. Let me tell you something. We need to take back the responsibility of rearing our children instead of letting someone in Hollywood do it. We need to teach them our values. And we need to change what's going on. You know, Jesus said in John 16, he said, they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, he said, the time will come that anyone who kills you will think they're doing service to God. Guess what? That time's here. They hate us as Christians. They despise us. They're not passive or quiet about it. They literally want to destroy us. We've got several enemies we're facing as Christians. You might as well admit it. The world, the flesh, the devil, and then the fourth one, I have to say, is death. And let me tell you why. The world will eventually be destroyed. We know that, and it'll be remade. The flesh will be resurrected one day and remade. 
Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. But the fourth enemy that we have to deal with is death. And I'll tell you why. It's because we only have a limited time to make a difference in this world. We're all going to die. And we can't sit back and wait and say, I'll do it somewhere down the road or wait till I retire or, or, or at some point when it's more convenient, I'll get involved. The problem is we've kicked this can down the road so far that the church has lost its position in society. Up until about 50 years ago, in every small community, there was a town square. Sometimes the courthouse was the town square. Or sometimes the courthouse was facing the square that was a park or a monument. But somewhere around that square, there would be buildings that were significant to the community being a healthy community. And what always sat on the square was churches. Because they understood our, the framers of our Constitution and our founding fathers understood that without God, we had no future. And we have insidiously let people shove us aside for so long. And we've been so passively distracted with what's going on in this world that we've lost our voice and we need to regain it. There was a story that was told in Minneapolis, Minnesota years ago about a mental hospital there. And there was a test that they had constructed back during the Great Depression to see if somebody was mentally ill. They didn't have a lot of diagnostic tests at that time. And what they would do is they would bring a patient into a room. And in the room was a sink with a faucet on it. And they'd turn it on and they'd, they'd stop up the, the sink and then let the water run over. And they'd hand the patient a mop and a bucket and they'd say, clean the water up. Now, if the person started cleaning the water up and putting it, wringing it in the bucket was fine, but if they ever reached over and they turned the faucet off, they said, this person's not mentally ill. They're fine. Now, that sounds a little bit crude and simple, but you know what? It's true. Our problem today is we're mopping up all around us and our families and our communities the mess that we've inherited from the devil. And we need to turn the faucet off. We need to stop allowing that to have the impact on our families. It is our responsibility. Now, spiritual warfare is not a matter of contending against godless philosophers and, and crafty priests and, 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 and Christ-denying cultists or, or even, even infidel rulers or pagans. People love to have an enemy they can see and go after. They love to name it and say, that's the problem, we'll go after them. In, 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 in debate, that's called a straw man. You set up a straw man, you make him the enemy, and you attack him. But the rea reality is this. Here's our enemies. The battle is against demonic forces. Demons. Something that some people don't believe in. Remember back in the 70s when they came out with music and the movies and they said, you know, oh, we're not going to believe like people used to. We're not going to believe in all these supernatural things. and We're going to move to enlightenment. No. It is real. There are demons. Jesus contended with demons. People struggle with them because their purpose is to destroy what God has made. 
and to take that which is righteous and make it unrighteous. And we need to face up to that. There are demonic forces seeking to destroy our families. Secondly, realize this. There are battalions of fallen angels that work out in this world. They're wanting to destroy what is holy. Somebody asked me one time, how many, how many demons and, and, and fallen angels are there? And I said, well, I don't know, roughly one-third of the angelic host of heaven. If you can figure out how many were there, divide it by three, and that's what you've got. No doubt there are billions and trillions that are out there that are seeking to destroy us. But the third entity that we can't forget is against evil spirits who wield tremendous power. These are powers that influence in levels that you can't imagine. That change the world that we live in beyond anything we could, could ever consider. You know, people want to say, oh, the problem is liberalism in America today. Or they'll say it's a political thing. The parties are all mixed up and one's as bad as the other. No, it's much more than that. It's spiritual, and it's seeking to destroy us. Simply put, in today's culture, they can't tolerate the notion of God because that would mean they'd have to answer to a power greater than themselves. I want to remind you, I don't, we've got some brilliant people in this world, but we've got some that simply think they are the end-all and the be-all of thought, and, and look where we are today. They want all of us to drive electric cars. I don't know about you, but I grew up, and every time I went to get a, get a battery-powered flashlight and there was something going on outside that I had to go and investigate, the battery was always dead. I also know this. I'm not real smart about engineering and how that works, but, but I do know this, that batteries have to be charged they're not like a gas engine that can crank themselves up. They've got to be charged. And there has to be electricity produced somewhere for them. And the further you remove the source that moves an engine away from it, the less the likelihood is of that engine performing as it should. As a friend of mine who is a professor at Georgia Tech told me one time, he said, go ahead and buy an electric car, and the next time it stops running, I'll bring you five gallons of electricity, okay? You can't do that. But that's what our greatest minds in Washington are talking about. That's what some of the greatest leaders in the world are using as an excuse to take away your authority and your influence. But the truth is, it's not about cleaner energy. It's not about a world that is free of carbon emissions. No, that's what they tell you. It's about taking control away from Christ Jesus in this world. Taking away the influence that the church has had. I remind you that before the 1960s, people that were hurt and needed help didn't go to the government. They went to the church. Do you realize that every major university in the world, with the exception of one, was founded by churches? Most hospitals were founded by churches because churches were in the business of helping people from hurting. And we were the ones that they'd come to for help. And so many churches have given up that role 
and they've walked away from it. And it's terrifying that we've done that. We can't walk this way anymore. The ruler of this age, Satan himself, wants to destroy what we have. 2 Corinthians 4 says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and of the glory of Christ, who is the image of all things. The devil rules this age. We thought enlightenment would have removed the whole idea of, of demons and devils and supernatural. People thought, oh, that's, that's just in people's heads. No, it's in their lives and their hearts. Supernatural evil is there influencing those round about us. John 15 tells us, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, but you're not. Greater is he that is in you, Christian, than he that is within the world. And hold fast to that. I've done a lot of studies over the years about Russia, especially since I found out that, that, that my biological father was a Russian Jew. He never knew that in his lifetime. He died never knowing where he was adopted from. But I find it very interesting when I study the Russian Empire because it's one of the greatest that's ever existed next to the Roman Empire. But I love to read the story of the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks were a political movement uh, who read the writings of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels and they followed the leadership of beginning V.I. Lenin. And they decided that, that the Romanov Empire that ruled over Russia was wrong. And so November the 7th, 1917, the Bolsheviks went in and overthrew Tsar Nicholas II and his family put them into hiding, isolated them in, in, in a prison, and took over the country, and they began to massacre millions of people. For 70-plus years this went on, and most of us in this room got to witness the end of that when our president, Ronald Reagan, stood up at, at the Brandenburg Gate in, in Eastern Europe and said those remarkable words that everyone told him not to say. His own wife said, don't you dare go near that. All of his advisors did, but he said, another advisor told him, the Holy Spirit said, stand up and speak boldly. And he stood up and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in the rights of individuals, if you believe that, that, that men should have an opportunity to succeed, tear down this wall. And those words will continue to echo. The Bolsheviks wanted to destroy what was there. In fact, July the 17th, 1918, Tsar Nicholas and his entire family were taken out and they were summarily executed one in front of the other and buried in an unmarked grave. Only within the last 30 years have they identified those bodies and properly buried them. Now here's the sad part of that story. There was a church in Russia, a good church, a big church, Russian Orthodox Church. It's not very different than our church here in America. It was a church that was very influential. Had a lot to do with the spiritual climate there. 
The Czar's family were members of the church and they attended church every week. And you ask, where was the church when this happened? When these pagans came in and, with their godless ideas and, and mutilated and murdered millions of people? Where was the church? November the 7th, 1917, when those revolutionaries took over the government and brought down one of the greatest empires that had ever existed. The Russian Orthodox Church was meeting in high assembly that day. Very important meeting, been going on for several weeks. They were debating the length of candles to use on their prayer altars. And it was so passionate that some of the clergy were getting into fistfights over what size candles to use. That's the sadness of the church in the world today. We can stand by quietly and allow our life and our culture and our society to crumble. Or we can retain our role for Christ's sake and be that change agent we're called to be. Now here's the mystery and the miracle of it all. It doesn't begin in Washington, it begins here. It doesn't begin necessarily in this building, it begins in your home. It begins when you begin your day. Do you begin your day by turning on the television and listening to, to the news? Or do you begin by kneeling in front of your Bible and getting real, the real news about life and seeking God's grace and God's face? Oh, dear friend, what we need is revival, and it begins here. It begins when we refuse to be passive anymore and want to become active. Otherwise, we're going to be reduced to a group of people that argue over candles. May God speak to our hearts and change us. May His Holy Spirit creep into our hearts and bring us closer to Him. Let us pray. Father, I ask that You would speak to us even now. Because we are people who are blessed in so many ways. We don't struggle. Most of what we have is there for us. We don't do without. Most energy is spent and expended worrying about being able to keep the creature comforts that we have. But Lord, we become bereft of spirituality. We've lost the importance of the, the family. Our families are crumbling. Our family homes are becoming places of dissension and frustration, not, not havens of joy and happiness. And Father, we realize the only thing to do to correct that is come back to you, and that's what we want to do today. This invitation is not about someone that would want to come forward and join this church, although I'd, I'd love for someone to join the church today, but this invitation is for Christians who love the Lord, who are faithful to come forward. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to someone today that needs to come down to this altar. I pray that this altar would be open and there would be those who would come and kneel and pray. Pray for their own families and pray for the families of this church that we would come close to you. We, we would not let dissension and disunity destroy what, 
what you established here so long ago, Lord. For we are not just the barometer of what is the, the future holds for Selma and Dallas County, but, but we're the change agent to make it what it should be. And I pray that, that change would begin here even today. Father, speak to someone that needs to come to this altar and pray and seek your face and say that I will stand. I will stand. Even if I have to stand alone, I will stand for what is right, that we would come back to a Lord that loves us and that will sustain us and that will cleanse us and prepare us to be the influence we are called to be. And I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.